Hello, this is episode seven of season four. Now, in this episode, I'll be talking with Melissa Wittig of Healthy Interiors. Melissa is an interior designer and is going to be sharing with us why you might need one for your project and how to get the best from working with one. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building, or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Our Get It Right podcast partner for season four is Colourbond Steel and their matte range. So Colourbond Steel matte is a great choice for creating a stunning, sophisticated and subtle look for your home in a material that is tested to withstand Australia's harsh conditions and be durable, long-lasting and strong for your home. As you may know, Colourbond Steel has been around for over 50 years now, so quintessentially Australian, it's been used in all kinds of projects in locations all across Australia with its tried and tested performance and its enduring style. The Colourbond Steel matte range takes this to the next level. With five colours to choose from, the matte range was tested for 10 years before it was brought to market. Sophisticated and understated, it has this gorgeous luxe feel in a material that's seriously strong and durable. There are so many ways that you can use it in the walls and roof of your home, whether you're renovating or building, to create the design style that you're seeking. With a beautiful and neutral look, it has an elegance that I know that you'll love, and it diffuses light for a soft, natural, textured finish. And not only does Colourbond Steel Matte look gorgeous, being steel, it's also 100% recyclable, it's high-tech, it's tested and designed for the Australian climate, it's a choice for bushfire zones, it's able to give your home a contemporary and sophisticated feel, and it has 50 years of history behind it as a brand. It's just amazing. So head to www.colourbond.com forward slash undercover architect, and that's C-O-L-O-R-B-O-N-D.com forward slash undercover architect. There you can learn more about this great matte range. You can request samples, which I really encourage you to do, and you can get inspired for how you could use it in your reno or new home. And stay tuned across the season as I'll be sharing more ideas and info to help you see how it could work for your project. Now let's get on with the episode. Now this episode is all about interior designers, what they do and how they help you. Look, I know this is an area where homeowners can get confused. I see some homeowners using an interior designer to simply choose soft furnishings like cushions and fabrics, right through to getting their help for their overall vision for the internal colour and material palettes, and then extending through to being a partner and working alongside them in their project in the design of interior elements like joinery and fit out of their home, and even through to designing whole extensions and renovations. It's a wide pool of work, isn't it? So Melissa Wittig of Healthy Interiors is joining me in this episode to share her knowledge about how an interior designer can help your project and some key tips to help you along the way. So Melissa is a health-focused interior designer. Well, what does this actually mean? Well, Melissa will explain that a little bit more in our chat, but basically our indoor environments are not always the healthiest places for us to be. Choices that we make about materials, soft furnishings, 
paintwork and other things that we live and work around every day can impact the air quality and how well we thrive in these spaces. So Melissa's work not only focuses on interior design, but also in helping homeowners understand how to make choices that create healthy interiors. Melissa's work and knowledge has been published in various publications, including Sanctuary and House and Garden magazines. And she's also the author of several award-recognised design resources, including an app and a book called The Smart Living Handbook, which she co-authored with Danielle King. And in fact, it's, it's this book that's the way that I found out about Melissa. I personally was doing some research for Alex Stewart's low-tox life community about how to renovate and build in a low-tox way. I found and I bought a copy of Melissa and Danielle's book and I've had it sitting on my desk ever since. I use it for the members of my online program, Your Reno Roadmap, as some families in my membership have allergies. And so choosing carpets or other items, for example, that don't cause problems for them and that that help them manage their allergies, for them, it's a key concern in renovating and building their homes. So if renovating or building in a healthy way is something that you'd like to learn more about, the book is a great place to start. And I'll have a link for more resources for you in the show notes. Melissa has over 15 years experience and a culmination of skills and knowledge to assist clients to create beautiful functional homes with consideration to lasting functionality and property value. And Melissa is also passionate about helping homeowners and their families discover how to create a beautiful home that is energy efficient and that supports good health. I'm really excited to be sitting down with Melissa. This is about the who, the what, the when and the why of using an interior designer for your renovation or building project. So let's get into the episode. So Melissa, could you share with us, what does an interior designer actually do and what should you expect in working with one? Mm -hmm. Um, An interior designer can help a client define the look and the functionality that they're wanting from their home and particularly the interior. They do assist um, architects and building designers with a client from the beginning of a project. And that can be anything from just a room renovation right through to a complete home build. Fantastic. I know that lots of homeowners uh, probably get really overwhelmed and confused kind of in that sea of Pinterest images and the things they tear out of magazines and that they fall in love with. So uh, an interior designer can be really useful in helping you sift and filter through all of those things that you've fallen in love with and actually create a look that's going to suit you and your family. at at the end of the day, can't they? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that I often find is that clients approach me with a book or a folder full of imagery that comes from different styles and looks. And it can be quite overwhelming to try and define that and create a unique style for a client. And and at the end of the day, you're really wanting to create, I mean, particularly when it's your family home, you're wanting to create a space that suits you and your family. So I can see, I know that a lot of people, they try and sort of grab a name for their style or something like that. And that that alone will overwhelm them and confuse them because they can't work out whether they like Hamptons or they like Scandi or they like industrial. And they're sort of grabbing these kind of catchphrases. And I think an interior designer can provide a wealth of experience and knowledge to help you actually create your style that's going to suit you and your family, both functionally and in its feel and look. Absolutely. And I think that's where there's a lot of renovation TV shows on at the moment and people look at a particular style and it's really easy to copy a style that you've seen. But I think an interior designer can help you assess your family needs, your occupant needs, the way you want to live in a property now and how that will look in the future and actually blend all of those needs from the look 
right through to functionality for now in the future. So yes, it's not just sort of a, a one view and let's get this design that we've seen in a magazine. It's very much customising something for an individual's needs. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So what would you say is the big difference between interior designers and interior decorators? Yeah, I think this is um, a really common issue for the public. And I think the first thing to note is that the interiors industry isn't regulated. So there are practitioners out there that have qualified, whether they've done a diploma or a degree in interior design. And there's also other people out there that um, have done work in the interior space or they've found that they've grown up their interest from a hobby and they too can call themselves an interior decorator or an interior designer. So um, I think that's one thing initially to note. Um, in terms of the functions that the two perform, an interior decorator is uh, usually uh, works in the space with soft furnishings and beautifying the structure of an interior. So it might be using rugs, cushions, blinds, curtains, paint colours. So something almost that's already existing and they they come and basically add the layers. Yeah, the decorative layer. So the decorative layer using furniture and soft furnishings and and paint and colour. Whereas an interior designer very much works from a structural perspective and looks at the functionality of the space and has involvement in the design of the hard structures if you like so often working with building designers or architects to look at functional needs such as storage or um, layout and those sorts of things that can contribute to beauty as well as putting an architectural interest into an interior function so yeah I know from personal experience when I've worked in larger practices or worked inside design practices that have interior designers on staff and they're generally university qualified interior designers and uh, and yes they they're an essential part of the team in basically bringing that architectural vision through into how the space feels and functions at that really tactile kind of immediate level because they're they're helping in the selection of all of those interior finishes and fixtures and the joinery design and you know it's it's a fantastic process when you get a team working together like that because uh, as an architect I know personally as I'm designing something I have a vision for how I see the interiors being but like a lot of other a lot of like a lot of architects I don't want to be trawling through tile catalogues or going to you know lighting and seeing all of those types of things um, at that detail level, I'd much rather work with an interior designer who's who that's their specialty and they can understand the vision for the design overall and bring it to life in their area of specialty. And I think it's a really fantastic process when you get that level of collaboration happening either mm. within one business or within different team members from different businesses. So yes, certainly that's a I guess a key area for an interior designer's involvement is their understanding of materials and finishes and knowing the limitations of materials and finishes so that they can implement that in design decisions because that's often where clients or builders can get caught out with the limitation of materials and that can be a costly thing later on in a project if something has been purchased that isn't quite a right fit for dimensions or isn't a right fit for Um, durability or for the purpose that it's being used for. So often interior designers can certainly help um, have that vision from the very beginning of development from what material will we put here, you know, what where can we go with sort of the overall look of the project as well as the material functionality. Fit for purpose. Mm. Yeah. And I think too I know from experience that 
A lot of homeowners tell me once they've got to the end of their project that they had no idea there were going to be so many decisions to make and that's what they found overwhelming. Just, you know, they felt like they'd just made one and then there was another 10 things that they had to choose and decide upon. And I think to have somebody kind of in your corner who can just sift and filter all of that noise, remind you of what your overall vision was and then minimise those selections. So they're basically finding you the, the three best tiles to choose from rather than you having to stand in a tile shop and choose from 300. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that can really simplify the process over, overall and be money very well invested. And like you say, actually then understand when it's going to be fit for purpose. Is it going to be suitable for a, an outside tile, for example, and have the slip resistance that will, you know, keep you safe and all of those types of things I think are fantastic. I remember mm. at Mervac, all of the interior designers had to test every material for stain resistance and had a process to follow for doing that. And mm. there's an amazing amount of rigour around making sure that all of the finishes were going to be um, not only look great, but actually be durable, stand the test of time as a family home. So mm. it's a huge amount of skill and expertise in that interiors um, industry. It is. And I think it, it can be very overwhelming as a homeowner to have all of these decisions in front of you for all of the selections. But I think one thing that's key that an interior designer particularly can assist you with is putting that process into an order that reduces going over things and changing things that you've already decided upon. So there are some key things within an interior that you would start with for your selections and those key selections would then be built upon by other selections so that you're not changing halfway through a (laughs) fundamental material that then throws out your whole desired look and an objective so um that's a fantastic point actually because I see that happen to people and that it's um when they don't have that high level guidance from an expert they can totally derail themselves and end up with a bit of a hodgepodge result Mm. when they worked so hard to get a clear vision at the beginning and and uh, perhaps got a bit lost in the middle so as you say having that person who can keep reminding you show you the order in which it's best to select Mm. things so you get the big picture stuff in first that really grounds the overall scheme and then everything else then works holistically together. Interior designers are very visual so they will often particularly speaking for myself as I almost joke with colleagues that when I take on a client they're renting space in my brain essentially (laughs) their scheme is constantly being you know mulled over and you know every little change that happens it will have a consequence to the overall end look so when there's something fundamentally changed like a flooring product you know that can have an impact on the whole visual impact of the job so it's um, very much looking at materials and finishes and making sure that any little change that's going to happen along the way isn't going to take away from from the look that we're trying to achieve. Yeah and I think too it's important to not underestimate the power of getting that interiors vision working together from your kitchen to your bathrooms to your living areas to your bedrooms you know it doesn't mean that everything has to have the same material or color applied to it but when it's guided by an overall vision that's actually how you bring an amazing sense of spaciousness and flow to your home because your brain's not kind of resetting every time you walk from room to Mm -hmm. room in terms of its connection with where you are and how this place feels so yes and that could be done by numerous different materials and finishes and hardware and um, lighting accessories that sort of thing but it's it's actually pulling all of that together so that you've got some sort of consistency yeah fantastic
Now, Melissa, you touched on before about just the fact that the interior design industry isn't regulated, uh, which may be a bit of a surprise for some homeowners that it's not. And I, I do know from experience that you know, there are some interior designers that give themselves that name, but actually have no formal qualifications to do so. It's just an interest that they do um, have skill in uh, and have decided to make a profession of it. And I think that's challenging for homeowners. And I mean, I say, as with any industry, there are people that are great at what they do and people that are not so great at what they do. And just, and a qualification doesn't necessarily make you great at what you do. You know, there's all these types of things that come into play. What tips do you have for homeowners who are looking for an interior designer in terms of, you know, where they should look, how they should interview them? I find that often when people are interviewing design um, specialists, they'll get them over and they'll mine them for free information rather than remember they're actually interviewing a professional as a partner, not, you know, not looking for free advice. So, mm. and how should that process sort of work and when should you look to get them involved and, and you know, just the machinations of actually finding somebody to work with? Yes, I think the most important place to start is really defining as a client what it is that you want. Um, so often clients will call... In terms of the type of help that you want, is that what you mean? Yeah, the or? type of services, the scope of services, mm -hmm. because an interior designer can assist with so many different or a range of services from um, simply a consultation in terms of talking about a project, looking at plans and discussing storage needs, discussing materials or colour, scheme ideas, as something as simple as a consultation, but then the scope of services can range right through to architectural specification for a complete build, and that is um, defining, sourcing and specifying for everything that the builder purchases for the interior from door handles through to paintwork, tiles, carpets, um, etc. everything that you would so expect. So just listing it all out, writing it all down, the exact product, where to get it from, Absolutely. You know, who to call, all of those types of things. Usually yeah. fills the format of a schedule, has supplier details, bit of a budget on what those items would cost so it helps the homeowner assess the interior costs or the variation costs for the builder and essentially helps create an overall scheme that a homeowner could then either shop around as in a form of a tender for particular builders or just help the existing builder um, define what he needs to buy. So like a big shopping list really, isn't it? Absolutely. And just the, avoids all those questions and that time sucking on site when those decisions aren't made. Really. It does. So, and yeah. an architectural specification for an interior um, very much lists all the builder's items, but then make sure that your scheme is going to stay true to the overall look that you're wanting to achieve. So um, the scope of services that can be provided by interior designers is quite lengthy. So I think um, having an idea as a consumer as to what the services are that you're looking for and the areas that you may need help in is the first thing to define. I'd also highlight that interior designers are all very different and they all offer different services and they all have very different pricing. Um, so it really is a matter of interviewing people and asking them what their services are. For example, some interior designers will do drawings, so joinery drawings or um, kitchen layouts and designs, that sort of thing, whereas other interior de designers won't. They will um, have a partner that is potentially a draftsperson or partner with an architect if they're working on an architectural um, project. So. If you're needing drawing services, then I guess that's, you know, one of the things that you probably need to establish up front if your interior designer offers that. So I'd probably start with defining the scope of services that you're wanting as a, a consumer. Yeah, that's really good advice, actually, because I find that a lot of people forget 
that well they just rely on the fact that in the building process that the drawings of the kitchens and the bathrooms and the 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 vanity joinery and any other joinery they mightn't have there in their home you know they may not get it included in their design drawings as part of getting their approvals and getting their project priced and then they'll just go ahead and expect that it kind of just happens as part of the building process and what that generally looks like is you're sitting down with the joiner that the builder regularly uses and you're working with them to draw up your kitchen and by that point you've already got a price in the contract that's been assumed it's you know in terms of what kitchens in your project level generally kind of cost um, which may or may not give you the the flexibility that you really want to, to control the design of the kitchen or the bathroom or those types of things and then there's also things like as simple as tile set outs and you know that type of information that I know personally I always recommend to homeowners that I'm working with that they get interiors drawings done so that they can determine exactly where the tile is set out from so they don't end up with an awkward cut tile at Mm. the doorway. And if they're not going to do that, then they make sure that they stand on site before the tiler has started and have that conversation with the tiler because if you – all of these details I know matter on a day-to-day basis in your home, when something hasn't been done well, it'll be the thing you notice every single day and it'll be this tiny source of frustration that kind of just clouds the way that your home feels and functions. And to get an interior designer who can help you anticipate all of those details at a drawing stage and then help you have a package of drawings to get accurately priced before you sign contracts so that the amount that's in your contract for your kitchen or for your bathroom is actually accurately reflecting what you want mm-hmm. is a really powerful thing, isn't it? So Absolutely. And I think it's those little things that an interior designer's where an interior designer's value comes into play. So as you said, you know, looking at the details like the tile cuts or layouts on your splashback or your tile layout on the floor, looking at your bench material, uh, the limitations of that material, where you might potentially put joins so that the join's not visible. Uh, and it gets it does reflect in the overall finish and the quality of the finish. Yeah, I had a, a, a client who um, is very detail-oriented and she decided she wanted to be involved and running all of that stuff on site. Um, uh, but she said she still didn't expect to have to make as many decisions as she did. She was standing there with the builder and the joiner figuring out how does the skirting touch the floor? How does the skirting then touch the cabinet of the kitchen? How much does the door overhang the cabinet? Where does the handle get positioned on the face of the cabinet? How much does the bench overhang? You know, it's, yes, absolutely. It's, it's just these myriad of choices that, you know, you may choose to not be involved in at all and just let the builder decide. And that's usually how a lot of people yeah. do it. And then at the end of the day, they're looking at it thinking it's not quite what I wanted and why. And it is those finer details that are the difference between an average product versus something that looks like it's custom built and made. And been really well thought out. Mm. Yeah. And I think too, um, for some people, they may be listening and saying, look, I'd never notice all of that stuff. Um, so it's not really going to matter to me. I think though... You know, my I'm always really passionate about turning everybody into a design detective so that they can start noticing the things that they do care about and noticing the things that they do sort of see and feel as they interact with their own space, go to their friends' homes. And it is things like, you know, I, I know I've personally experienced bench tops that don't overhang the cupboard door below so that anytime water runs off the bench top, 
it, you get a stain or a drip mark down the face of the cupboard fronts, which means particularly if you've got little kids and you're spilling things on bench tops and that kind of thing all the time, you end up having to clean all the cupboard fronts all of, you know, mm. most of your time. Um, dark colours showing up, fingerprints of little toddlers and things like that. So all it, I think that it's not just the beauty level of it, it's an actual functional level that that most of this detailing is driven by, mm. you know, tile cuts so you don't get tiles lifting because they're, it's an odd little cut that catches things all the time. And you Absolutely. Know. You know, bench joinery. If you don't have your joins in the right position, your bench will not last as long as it should. So it definitely comes down to longevity of materials as well in terms of making sure that they're applied to the, the right places appropriately. So, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's great advice. All right, Melissa, so you've spoken about the fact that um, there can be a big variance, obviously, in how much interior designers will cost. And, you know, I see that personally, and a lot of it's based on their skill level and the types of projects that they do. And as you say, the amount of work that they're, that they're willing to help you with and the type of work that they regularly do. So if they do do drawings, if they do do full specifications and create all those schedules for you, as opposed to perhaps holding your hand on a shopping visit or, you know, doing that initial kind of um, interiors vision. Perhaps you can help people understand when they get a fee proposal from an interior designer, what things should they be looking for in terms of getting the information that they need about their project? In terms of a fee proposal, designers do tend to vary their charges. So there is a very large scope of what a designer will charge depending on how much work they've done in the past, how busy they are. Um, it, you really need to look at whether you're taking them on or an, a designer on for a fixed project. And if that's the case, then because you're dealing with them on an ongoing basis, they may offer you a fixed fee for the whole project or they might give you an hourly rate for something that you've asked them to do. Often when you're looking for a one-off consult, you'll find that the fee rate will be higher um, than if you take on a designer and you have a project with them and then you ask them to do some additional things like sourcing or um, additional project work. It will be usually at a reduced hourly rate. So when homeowners are looking at getting an interior designer over to talk about their project, how do you recommend that they prepare for that meeting and the kinds of questions that they should ask? You talk a little. You talked before about, you know, Getting, getting an understanding or thinking about how much help you're going to need uh, and thinking about your style or the look that you want. You know, what, what, what material, I suppose, should people pull together and how should they really be ready for that meeting to get the most from it? Hmm. I think collate all of the images that they've got and that they've seen in magazines or online, put them into some sort of a book or a folder, uh, create a list of all of the things that they haven't been able to get their head around and that, that they would like some assistance with so that they're defining a little bit of a brief as to where they need assistance. So when you're approaching the first meeting, I think it's a really um, great opportunity to talk to the designer about their availability and what sort of time frame they've got to assist you with your project have together all of the documentation that you've created, um, whether it's images that you've collected from magazines or online, um, a list of things that you'd like help with, and really take the opportunity to talk to the designer about their style and how they would actually interact with you during a project and see whether there's a fit with the type of communication that you're looking for. So if you're really only available on certain days of the week and would prefer to check in with a designer um, by email on a given day, 
see if that's a good fit from a communication perspective because dealing with a, a designer ongoing, there really needs to be a defined scope of communication and you have to be comfortable with how that's going to play out in a project. I think also ask the designer in the first visit how the information is going to be prepared for them. So as a designer, through the process, how will the um, scope of services that you've asked for be delivered to you? Will it be in an online document format? How do you access that? Um, how do you get to use that? Uh, will they provide you with samples or will it only be in a document form that then you need to go and chase samples? And I think it's really important that if you have started to collect samples yourself that you make sure that you have those at the initial meeting so that the project can start from the foundation that you've already created. Oh, there's some great tips, Melissa, because I think that, um, that yeah, people do, they just assume that the designer will be doing certain things and don't really check whether all of that's included. They sign up to a fee and then find out there's all these gaps of things that they have to fill and do themselves and get very miffed very quickly, which then pollutes that relationship and doesn't really get the best from it. So I think really understanding at the outset exactly what is included in that fee and like you say, how are you going to be receiving information and how are you is that going to work for your communication style? You know, I know people will think that they want to work in different ways with an interior designer. They do want them to come to tile showrooms with them, for example, and stand alongside them whilst they make a decision about things. Others may just want the interior designer to send them, as I said before, the three top samples based on the vision, overall vision that they have. Some only want the interior designer just basically to set up a colour palette and ideas that they then can take to all of the showrooms and locations that they're going to to make those choices. So it is, um, it's really important, isn't it, that people lay that out and have a good think about it and also ask those that interior designer is this how you normally work and how would you see we could work together and what would be your recommendations and really draw on their expertise to see how they feel um, they can provide the best service to you. Yeah definitely and I would assume that once you've got to the first meeting that you've already looked at their their folio in the past and that you've ascertained that they're a reasonable fit for what you're looking for. So at the first meeting, I see that as the opportunity to really talk about um, the way that you would like to move forward with the project and communicating back and forth as to how each of the parties likes to do that and looking at schedule too and working out what the project schedule is likely to be and how you would define the responses that you want from the interior designer throughout that process because I've found that the biggest pitfall in a relationship between a client and designer is when there is that lack of communication or that one party's frustrated because another party hasn't got back to them with an answer on something. And I think schedule is so important to keep a project running on time and that decisions can be made free-flowing, particularly when you've got a build underway because delays can be very costly. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fantastic advice. In terms of when you should contact an interior designer, I know this is a source of confusion for a lot of homeowners. They're, they think, should I get the architect or building designer on board first, then get a recommendation from them for an interior designer? Should I speak to the interior designer first? Should I get them together at the same time? Do you have any, I know that it's probably project dependent and person dependent, but do you have any tips for people around that sort of, that thought process? 
I think the earlier the better if that you can create a team that you're wanting to work with. Um, depending on the scope of the project, obviously you'll have a, a bigger team with a, a new build. But I think getting everyone together at the outset actually can reduce delays, it can reduce costs and it can have everybody working on the same page and creating a flow for the project from the very outset. All right, Melissa, so you've had your first meeting with the interior designer. You're getting a good feel for that communication style and they seem a good fit for what you're seeking for your project. They they seem really interested in, and their schedule works according to your desired needs for availability. What should you expect to hear back from them after they've gone and left in terms of after that first meeting? I think... After the first meeting, it really depends on where you've brought the interior designer into the project, whether it's at the very beginning or they've come in midway and you require a response on something that um, is mid-project. But if you're at the very beginning of a project, I would expect that you would receive a response to the brief that may give an overview as to the process that you will now follow um, together and then work through a journey of the build process, really, and looking at um, a schedule and how you will define the decisions that need to be made throughout that schedule and start um, looking at that together. So it's, it is, it's really relying on them as the expert to tell you how things can flow and work and how they'll support you in your project going forward really, isn't it? Yeah, so I'd expect that an interior designer is creating that schedule for you and obviously in consultation, but is actually really looking at what you need um, that you haven't currently got to then start the process to be the most effective. So, Melissa, you've had an extraordinary amount of experience in working with homeowners in interior design. What mistakes do you regularly see homeowners make that just means that they get terrible results in terms of that interior design process? And the, I suppose, you know, interior design can really lift the experience of a home. And when you make those mistakes, obviously you don't get that outcome. What do you generally see happen um, and go poorly? The most disappointing thing for me that I see in interiors is that a team is created to build a project and the interior finishes um, are usually one of the last things to go into a build. So if a budget isn't managed properly or a project's not managed properly, we can often see that the budget blows out. And so... Before you get to the chance to get, add all the, all the things right. you actually touch and interact with. Yeah, That's right. So at the very beginning, you've specified this great grand vision um, and there's been some costings associated with that. And we all know that builds have the potential to have a bit of a budget blowout. But I think keeping control of the budget and managing that from the outset and being realistic as to what your budget is so that you can create a project that fits your budget that's not going to have to be um, dismantled, if you like, at the very end because you don't have enough money. I think starting with a really firm budget, managing that well, will prevent getting to the end of a project and ultimately running out of money where clients are then saying, we have to pull back, we have to change things, we have to alter our materials and finishes for our fit out because our budget's blown. Um, I think that's where some really beautiful schemes have come undone because often a designer will have factored in some wow features, if you like, that are going to give the grand scheme Those the focal impact. points, yeah. yes. And often, look, they are at times the more expensive items but they usually have been defined in the scope of works for a reason and they're the things that get targeted when there's a budget blowout and I think sometimes you can pull back on materials and finishes in a way that can really take away from your you know your end game that you started with
Yeah, and and I I mean the last season was all about how to set and stay on your budget, and I I explained in that season that, you know. There's this whole, I think this debate that goes on with homeowners that say, well, I'm going to save loads of money because I'm going to pick a $40 square meter tile rather than a $200 square meter tile. And at the end of the day, the finishes and fixtures, they make up quite a small percentage of your overall build or renovating costs. And so, you know, I really encourage people to focus a lot of their budget management on the bigger bulks of getting, you know, not doing structural gymnastics, getting the home to work rationally and sensibly from a structural and construction point of view so that you don't have to then strip the finishes at the very end because you haven't been able to manage your budget and also building in that contingency as well. So you do have a bit of a buffer to handle those variations that can and do come up on site because like you, I've seen that happen and it's heartbreaking because they've the poor homeowners had this beautiful vision for their finished home and they get to the end and they can't actually realise that in the things that they do touch and experience every single day because it's all been spent on the stuff that's behind the plasterboard mm. you know and there are occasions if you're working with your interior designer right through to the end that your interior designer can assist you if that happens to pull back on materials and finishes that aren't so key to the overall result whereas there are lots of projects where an interior designer is involved at the beginning when the plans have been developed and the interior specifications have been developed and then that's handed over to the client to then on their own run the project with the builder and so often I've seen where there's been these great specifications done and project that's gone into build. And because the client's chosen to not to continue to engage the services of an interior designer just to keep project costs down, when they get to the end, they're feeling like they're making all the decisions on their own and they're going to pull back on their own without consulting with the designer. And that's often where key materials will actually get removed from a schedule, which does have a really big Im- impact potentially um, on the decision you know, so I think keeping in touch with your interior designer, even if you only use them at the very beginning to create a scope, that if you are making key decisions at the very end, that it is worth that consult fee to get them back in and say, right, we need to pull this back. Where are the areas we can pull it back without, you know, doing a lot of visual change to what we're yeah, wanting? Yeah, totally destroying that design intent that you mm. worked so hard on at the beginning. Yeah, I recommend that to people. Um, that if they are planning on just keeping their consultants on until construction starts and then just handling things directly with the builder themselves, that you know that those consultants are available at an hourly rate for you to call on because there will come times where you need to draw on their expertise to make decisions so that your design intent is carried through. I mean, mm. as designers, we're all problem solvers by nature. So, and it's, you know, we see these problems all the time that things do need to get swapped in and out because of cost issues or perhaps something has gone awry on site and joinery hasn't been able to be mm. built the way that it was. Or not available from a supplier anymore, which can often happen because the build process is a lengthy process. So something that was specified at the very beginning of a project may not be available. So there needs to be a substitute put in. And, you know, that's another area where um, you you can actually alter a scheme um, indirectly because you've had to make a decision on an alternative material which can have an impact. Yeah, so just to be able to have an interior designer that you've worked with at that design phase available on an hourly rate to check in with and say, look, this has happened, what do you recommend, can just simplify things so much and lower that stress of you having to make that decision on your own and potentially 
um, disrupting that whole scheme that you work so hard to bring together holistically. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd, I'd like to also highlight that an interior designer, while you are paying for their consultation fees, can often save you so much money. Um, you know, you're really hiring a designer to make decisions or help you make decisions that are going to um, hopefully minimise the decision errors or the rework that potentially might have to be done in a build when something happens and it doesn't quite fit or there needs to be a change. Um, or often interior designers will have really great insights to suppliers. So you may be able to get materials and finishes from directly from a wholesaler rather than from a retailer. So you're going to save you know, um, income or expense there. Yeah, that's so, great advice. Yeah. You know, really, interior designers um, that are well-versed on materials and finishes and where to get them um, and also making good decisions on how to um, put materials and finishes that aren't so visually important into a build where they're at a low cost and then use the more expensive just finishes. Just budget overall. Yeah, yeah, use the more expensive finishes in, in the places that are going to make that big impact. That's going to essentially over the whole build save you dollars. So just get you that bang for buck. Yeah, yeah look, I think there's so many ways an interior designer can list their value um, and has saved people value, even in terms of, as we um, mentioned earlier, if you're on a project and a consumer doesn't make a decision as quickly as they need to. Often people haven't thought about all their materials and finishes. They've launched into a build. The builder's on site and they're saying, oh, my plumber's arrived this morning. They want to do a rough-in. Where's your taps? And they're like, what do you mean? You know, we're at rough-in. The place mm. is, you know, at frame stage. Why do I need my taps when you're nowhere near putting my taps in? Yeah. And a lot of people won't realise that you need to have your tap sets when the frame stage has gone up and your plumber's on site and he needs to know what taps he's putting into the wall when, you know, you're looking at... When he's actually just running the pipes to where they'll go. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, you know, it's a place where a lot of people... I've had often phone calls with frantic people saying, I'm at work, my builder's just rung me, plumber's on site, they can't actually do our, our rough-in today because I haven't chosen taps and we need all our plumbing hardware for the whole property and how can I do this right now when I'm at work and... We're going to have, um, you know, delay fees from our builder. So, um, yeah, it's hugely stressful, isn't it? And I think it's it is that um, that just that inability to understand because you've it's the first time that you're doing it. That even though it's so early in the sequence of build that all of these like later decisions actually need to be brought forward in order for you to actually get the result that you're chasing. So, yeah. So ultimately, you know, design is there to actually prevent delays for your builder and for the other members of the team to help guide you to make decisions in a timely way. No, that's great. And I think too, there's a level of objectivity that having an interior designer can really assist with when it's, particularly when it's your own family home, the emotional connection that you have with it can really challenge the simplicity of decision making you know because you do feel the pressure that this is potentially the last tile you will ever choose you know mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's your plan you're planning on living there for 15 20 years and uh and just having somebody who's seen so much and seen so many great solutions and so many not so great solutions to give you that level of clarity and and bring you back to hang on remember this is what we were wanting to do so this is this is my recommendation and because uh, you know even like I have people tell me that you start cracking into how many whites are available in a paint mm. colour, you know. <laughs> yes, white is not white. White is not white. And 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 the public are actually only seeing probably about 20% of the whites that are actually available. Yes. So, you know, I think that just to have that objectivity to go, look, this is what will work, 
because I've seen it before. I know it doesn't throw the color that we're, you know, all of those mm. types of things. Because the last thing you want to do is pay for, you know, all of those things up front and then for to, them to not look the way that you anticipated them yes. or to doubt your decision making and then yeah. have to live with the consequences. So. Well, that just reminds me of a, a situation that's cropped up before, you know, something as simple as a paint colour. So a paint colour has been specified in one brand and then it gets to the job and the painting contractor comes on and says, well, okay, but I don't use that brand. So I'm just going to use my brand, but I'll tint it the colour that you want. Oh no. That never works. No, it doesn't. So it's not as simple as... And all as... of a sudden your white's actually pale pink. Yeah. It's, it's right. It does throw a different colour. So you can't just say, well, I have had this color in this brand but that's okay my painter uses this brand it doesn't work and yeah. that that is one of those things that yes I guess you get caught out if you haven't had the experience yeah so Melissa there's been so much gold packed into this interview you've given the listeners so much great advice just to finish off what key tips do you have for working really well with your interior designer creating that really trusting collaborative relationship that's going to serve you through your project so that you actually get the outcome that you're seeking to achieve I think it's understanding each other's needs and situations. I think as a consumer, be realistic on what you're after. Um, you need to be realistic with your budget and what your budget can extend to. Um, understand the designer that you're working with and how their business functions. You know, are they one of a team? Are they one in a small business? Understand their limitations and restrictions as well so that you haven't got unrealistic expectations going into the project. I think really defining the way that you want to communicate with your um, designer is really important because there's nothing more frustrating than feeling that you want an answer to something and you're mm. not getting it and that you feel let down. So I think having really clear parameters on... Because you haven't established those expectations up front. That's yeah. right. So to clearly sort of say, well, you know, how do you like to best communicate? This is how we would like it. These are our limitations. These are when we would like to chat with you. Um, how often will we have meetings? What's the expectation for... Um, getting together personally throughout this process versus um, whether it's email communication or phone yeah, communication. Do you mind if I text you at 11.30 at night when I have a reconsideration of the... <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, you know, and I think be mindful um, of that relationship and nurturing that relationship because it is a quite a drawn-out process. Um, particularly yeah, it's a, if a long time, isn't it? It yeah. is if you're um, doing a new build. So I think both designer and consumer being aware that you need to nurture that friendship that and it is a friendship that you develop over time I always like to think of it you know if you're hiring a designer or anyone in your team you want to feel comfortable that you would happily go and have a coffee and a chat with them I think you want to build that sort of rapport and having those clear guidelines is great I also think that if you do and you will have changes that crop up throughout the journey and it might be in one given week you've had, you know, five different changes of heart or you've, <laughs> you've, you've found that, you know, I did choose this particular finish last week, but I've seen something and I really want to change that. And, you know, several things come up, try and keep communication, particularly email communication to, you know, once every few days or once a week where you put everything into that one email. Because um, just from experience, I've found when I get one or two emails every day making changes or it's so sending, hard to keep track of isn't it's it it's the document management yeah. it's not that you're not acknowledging something but it then becomes logistically very difficult mm. to stay across or very time consuming because yeah. if you're getting 20 emails a week with one or two things in it 
because there's so many, you then have to start collating them and um, summarising all of that. What's the most recent? Absolutely. So I think that document management is made much easier by just sending, you know, um, defining that contact and saying, well, okay, I'll send my communication every day on a Thursday or every day on a Friday so that you can really easily track those changes and what those requests are. So. Oh, Melissa, that's just brilliant. Thank you so much for spending time with me and sharing such wisdom and experience so generously. There's just been so much great advice packed into one small interview. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So how did you enjoy that? I hope you found it helpful to hear Melissa explain how an interior designer can work with you in your renovation or building project so that you can choose the best fit for you. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Melissa and her business, Healthy Interiors, and also check out her book, The Smart Living Handbook, make sure you head to the show notes and I'll have links to her website and her social pages there so that you can learn more about her work and you can also get in touch with her. In the next episode, I'll be talking to a bushfire consultant, Matthew Willis. Often I find that homeowners are surprised that they need to deal with bushfire issues on their sites, even in the most suburban of locations. So Matt will be explaining more about how to work with one, what they do and how they can help you. Join me then. Now, before I head off, remember our season four podcast partner is Colourbond Steel and it's Matt Range. So don't forget that you can use Colourbond Steel in your interiors as well. Look, there's been times where I've worked with clients on projects and they've been specifically looking for alternatives to the regular options of interior walling because some of the existing options, they can be labour intensive and they can be quite messy. And so I've found that some clients, they're deliberately looking for alternatives that can go up quickly and don't immediately have to be painted. So Colourbond Steel is actually a great alternative here. And the matte range, they have this lovely luster and subtleness that I think would make them a fantastic choice for an interior finish. So remember, this isn't just corrugated metal. There are so many different profiles that you can create and choose from. So, you know, think about how durable this could be as an interior choice for family life, because it may be an alternative that you want to consider for your project if you're looking for something different. So head to www.colorbond.com forward slash undercover architect. So that's www.colorbond.com forward slash undercover architect. You can request samples and find out loads more information about Colorbond Steel and their mat range. Thank you for tuning in to the Get It Right podcast with Undercover Architect. Now, if you head to the Undercover Architect website, you'll see loads more helpful information on how to get it right when designing, building or renovating your home simply and with confidence. Not only can you see all the podcast episodes there, there's also a wealth of written blogs and of videos too covering all sorts of topics. And there's other ways as well that Undercover Architect can give you more support and guidance for your project. Now, if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please subscribe so that you always get notified of new episodes as soon as they go live. And I'd love it too if you could please leave a review. (laughs) I know that iTunes doesn't make it easy to leave a review, but when you do, this is super helpful in spreading the word that this podcast exists to others who really need to hear it to get help with planning their future homes. This has been Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. Thank you for listening and for letting me be your secret ally. Looking forward to next time.